Today's scripture reading is from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6-9. to 9. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. This is a reading of God's word. Well, it's good to uh, see everybody here today. Um, happy Mother's Day. Um, if you are a mother today, especially if you are one, I uh, just want to wish you a happy Mother's Day. Uh, if you have a mother, I uh, want to wish you a happy Mother's Day. Um, but I think it's a good time to uh, remember those members of our family who are devoted and dedicated as, as weak and as sometimes flawed as some of our family members are. It is the Lord's desire to honor our moms today. So normally I um, try and do some kind of Mother's Day recognition sermon kind of thing. I only have two in my repertoire. It's just um, my things I rotate, and I'd rather just switch it up today. And um, it is a Mother's Day sermon, but it's something I think that it's uh, applicable to all of us, and it's something that also I think uh, is important to see and to understand. So. We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 5, take a break from our current series on the church, and uh, look at something I think is very common, normal. I've, I've preached this before, but I'm just going to reemphasize and remind each other again. Um, in 2012, did you know there was a book uh, that was the New York Times bestseller written by a man named Blaine Hardin, and uh, it was a book entitled Escape from Camp 14. And it was, it's, about, it's a biography about a Korean guy from North Korea. His name was uh, Shin Dong-hyuk, right? And at that time, he was the only person uh, known to be born and raised in one of North Korea's prison camps and then escaped. So this guy writes a biography on him. Did you know that North Korea's prison camp, I don't know if you know anything about it, but they, they existed twice as long as Stalin's Soviet gulags. Uh, North Korea's prison camps have, have been around 12 times as long as Nazi concentration camps. So they've been around for a very long time. And what happens in the biography is that Mr. Shin escapes uh, the camp and escapes North Korea, and he defects to South Korea. And he's living there now for a few years. And you would think that Mr. Shin's life now, as he lives in South Korea, would be so much better than it was when he was living in the prison camps in North Korea. You know, you've got more food, more technology, more clothes, you know, better housing, more freedom, so on and so forth. But in one section of the book, he actually confesses that at certain times, he actually misses life in the camp. And the reason is because back then, even though they, they had very little, almost nothing, and even though there was oftentimes physical oppression, incredible physical oppression, like you never knew when you were going to die. Everyone wanted to live. Life was simpler, he said, because the goal was just to make it through the day. But when he defected to South Korea, and though South Korea had so much more, he felt like every time he turned the TV on, there was news of someone who had just committed suicide. And at that time, uh, I think Japan was number one in the world for suicide, and then number two was Korea. And it was ironic because 
People in North Korea, he said, with very little, near death, everyone fought to live. But in South Korea, where they had so much more, it seemed like to him, so many people wanted to die. And he thinks, and he says he thinks the reason is, is that because of so much blessing that he found in South Korea, for him, life just became more complicated. And there were so many things, so many more things to worry about. He never had to worry about money, and now he does. He never had to worry about possessions, and now he does. He never had to worry about his future. I mean, it was just one thing, just survive. And now he does even more. What is he going to do? How is he going to live? And he says in the book that worrying and anxiety in Korea is a national pastime. It's a national pastime. I got three points real quick here. Why talk about anxiety and worry? What exactly is worry? And third, what, what do we do about it? Okay. And this is not a sermon that's going to answer all the questions to the issues of anxiety and worry. There, there's so much out there. This is just an introduction, a tip of the iceberg, at least from the Bible's perspective. But why talk about it? Because this is an issue. It, it's, it's, it's an issue for everyone. You know, it's not just for a few. There's a lot of people. All of us, at one point or another, we struggle with worry. Everyone worries. Everyone struggles with this. You know, uh, my mom, she never fails to remind me that, that my uh, relationship with her and my father changed after I got married. And I don't know if, if this has ever happened to you, but, you know, I was always the good son. But as soon as I got married, she says, I'm not the same anymore. And I think what she means is that I don't pay enough attention to her now but that I have someone else in my life. And she always says this. She says, look, Francis, you will never understand how much your mother loves you, how much I worry about you. You know, and it's that Korean guilt. It's like, <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. You know, I didn't mean to make you worry so much. But it, it, it's, it's what moms do. And why is that? Because moms worry. And you know why moms worry? Because you've got kids that worry. You know, over this pandemic, in, in the past uh, couple of years or so, in fact, every year since 2012, among our children, did you know that it's increasing? About 3% every year of the number of kids in our country that are struggling with anxiety. And over the pandemic, that has doubled, in fact, statistics say. The children from the ages of 12 to 19, over the past couple years, and I've read this in some statistics, 37% of teens say that their mental health has worsened over the pandemic. And 44% and of those were boys. 29% were girls. Four out of 10 teens report that they have experienced either general anxiety and also a feeling of depression. And it says that girls, 46% of them, are more likely to feel this than boys, about 33%. And of the top three things that they struggled with over the pandemic, number one was anxiety. Number two was feeling depressed. And number three was what we call social anxiety. Top three in the past couple years. Even children worry. I mean, we have enough to worry about, but think of this as a parent, or if you know a parent, as a mom, uh, as a dad even, 
now we worry about our kids worrying. Isn't that ironic? I don't know what your particular struggle is today and what you're concerned about today, what you're, what you're wrestling with, but I know one thing. All of us, to some degree, at some point, we struggle with worry. We struggle with anxiety. And in probably one of the most affluent times in our culture, of our history, America's favorite pastime also seems to be worrying. It's common to all. We all do it. And so it's a good reason to address it. Now, let me try and give you, at least from a faith-based perspective, what anxiety or worry is, as very simply from these passages. Uh, what is it? What can we do? With? What does the Bible tell us about worry? How do we handle it? And the way I'm going to do this is this. I'm going to go backwards. Instead of first just giving you a definition of what I think the Bible says, this is what anxiety is, I'm going to give you what I think Peter is saying, here's the answer. Here is the, here is the beginning of the answer, at least. Okay? Uh, Peter, right here, most scholars agree, wrote that this letter to a group of Christians who were, in fact, practically worrying of everything. They were worrying about their future. They were worrying about impending persecution, right, for their faith. And so Peter writes this letter to prepare his people for the coming persecution and difficulties that they're going to face in the near future. So this letter, many people say, is almost like a, a training manual for people who are expecting, who are being told to expect there's going to be some trouble coming up. And so, of course, these are people who are worried. And they're worried about what's to come, and they're worried about an uncertain future, and they're worried about what kind of struggles they're going to face. They're worried about whether they're going to be able to survive to make it through these trials that he says are going to come. And in chapter 5, then, uh, Peter gives us this famous and encouraging exhortation in verse 7. In the NIV, it, the verse reads like this, Cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because he cares for you. You've heard that verse, right, before maybe somewhere? Isn't that a wonderful verse? You know, you, you've heard this, maybe you quoted this. Uh, and, and like many Christians, uh, the next time you feel an anxiety attack coming on, you could flip to this first, you know, and say, oh, cast all my worries upon God because he cares for you. And in my work, you know, in, instead of, uh, you know, popping a pill, maybe you could pop this verse and it might do the job. But I think if that's all we do, if that's all we see, we will miss something even deeper. Because, you see, this, this exhortation in verse 7, cast all your cares upon the Lord, because he cares for you, it doesn't just hang there in a vacuum. It isn't this mantra, this magical mantra that, that you just say and say and all your worries just disappear. It's not something you just frame on a plaque and hang over your bedroom and somehow makes the worries go away. Peter here, the Bible here, is, is very real with struggles of anxiety and worry. He's not like that Bobby McFerrin song in 1988. I know I'm dating myself. Remember that song? He's not saying, don't worry, be happy. There are real concerns, real issues, real worries going on there. But there's a grammatical issue here in our passage that provides for us a window. The NIV starts verse 7 as a separate sentence. So you hear the verse, cast all your anxiety. But if you look at the verses behind me, or even in your Bible, in the ESV, they've got the better translation. Rather than verse 7 saying, cast all your anxiety, it literally says, casting all your anxiety. That the verb in verse 7 is a participle, okay? And it rightly translates, casting all your anxiety. In other words, 
there's a connection between what he's saying in verse 7, casting all your anxiety, and what he says in verse 6. And what does he say in verse 6? He says, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. So for Peter, there's a connection between humbling yourself, humility, and then casting your anxiety upon the Lord. Listen carefully. Humbling yourself will make casting your cares upon him necessary. Humbling yourself will make casting your cares upon him possible. In other words, humbling yourself, verse 6, I think is the beginning of Peter's solution to the worry and anxiety of verse 7. Now you might be thinking, humility, humble myself. Well, I didn't know I was being arrogant. I'm here in anxiety. I'm worried I, I can't handle everything. How is that being arrogant? How is that, you know, what does that need? Humility. How is that a solution? And here's the thing. If that is Peter's, at least the part of his solution, then what does that tell me about what anxiety is? Worry is. What is it? And here's the thing. What does it mean to be humble? Let me give you a few examples. You know, a lot of people are traveling right now. They're taking flights everywhere. And, and imagine you're on a plane, and, and for some reason, the, there's a malfunction in the plane. You're in the air, and it's about to go down. The pilot, for some reason, is out of commission, right? And so what do you do? You're not a pilot. What do you have to do? You've got to ask someone else who's qualified to fly the plane. You've got to find yourself someone who can save you, who you can put your life into their hands, someone who's able, because you can't. Do you see that? It's humbling. If you make a mistake, you've got to be humble enough and prepared enough to say, I'm sorry. If you are weak or you feel inadequate, you've got to be prepared to ask for help. You can't just wait and expect people to read your mind or just look at you and think you need help and to ask you. You need to be prepared to ask. That takes humility. When Peter says, humble ourselves, what he's basically saying is this. Stop trying to think that, that you can solve everything. Stop thinking that you could solve everything. When he says humble yourself, he's saying stop trying to put the future in your hands, in your control. Stop thinking that tomorrow is in your control. Stop thinking that everything depends on you. Because isn't that what worry and anxiety really is? Isn't that what makes us so troubled? That's why we worry. That's why we're anxious. Because deep down, at bottom, worrying is this feeling that absolutely everything depends on me. What am I going to do? How am I going to manage this? How can I prepare for this? How will I handle this? What if I fail? What if I don't do enough? What if I miscalculate or do a bad job? What if I make the wrong choice? And Peter, he's saying this in verse 6. When he says, humble yourself, he's saying, stop that. Because you can't handle that. 
You're not ultimately in control of anything. You can't know the future. You're not in control of time or of people or of circumstances. You're not really strong enough. You're not wise enough. You're not able or equipped enough to deal with all that. Only God is. So humble yourself. Stop trying to be God in your life. Because I'm the only God and you're not. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, verse 6. That's humbling. It's humbling to hear that you are far too small to be able to carry the burdens that unfold in this world. It's humbling because we're saying, I'm not qualified to manage all of this. I don't have the ability to do anything about some of these issues. And I'm coming before God and I'm saying, Lord, only you could do this. Only you could change this. And that's why you must cast your burdens, your anxieties, your worries upon the Lord because it's only on the shoulders of an almighty sovereign God that can carry those concerns, verse 7. That's what anxiety and worry really is. And Peter's, at least his simple beginning to a solution, is humility. He commands us to humble ourselves because at its core, excessive worry and anxiety is a sinful desire of people to try and want to be God in their lives, to be in control and have things their way in their time. And in this sense, worrying, it isn't just a little attitude or disposition of someone's character. Worry is a real problem. And I think oftentimes in God's eyes, worrying is a sin. Because when you worry as a person of faith, you're saying something about God. When you're worrying like this, excessive worry, you're saying, in effect, God, I just don't know I can trust you. I've got to take things into my hands. Why? Because it depends on me. Worrying paralyzes you. It makes you too upset to accomplish anything productive. It doesn't do anything to progress you. Worrying about tomorrow saps you of energy to live for today. Worrying, in effect, you're saying to God, God, I don't think you really care for me. So Peter tells the people of faith, humble yourself. Jesus commands us. Matthew 6, three times he says, don't worry, don't worry. Don't even start worrying. I've got you. I know what I'm doing. Paul, Philippians 4 says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, pray, trust me. Matthew 10, Mark 13, Jesus commands us, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. My spirit's there with you. I'm there for you. I mean, for those of us here who are Christians, let's think about this, all right? If you're a Christian and you believe in the Bible, does it make sense that someone who believes in the Bible and then live as a perpetual worrier? Does that make sense? I mean, if you do that, you're saying one thing out of your mouth, one side of your mouth, and the other out the other side of the mouth. It doesn't make sense to say how much you believe that God is there and the Bible is true and then worry about God doing what he's going to say he's going to do. Peter says in verse 6, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, casting all your anxieties upon him. And what happens when you do that? 
Well, when you know your place and you know God's place in your life, you immediately instinctively start doing verse 7. You're not qualified, so you hand over the wheel to one who is. You cast your worries upon him. Literally, that word cast means you just throw it. You throw it off. You throw it off your shoulder, and you throw it all on him. Because basically, it means to trust and entrust God with your worries. Now, why should we do this? Well, one reason I just told you, because he is qualified to do this. He's the almighty God. But the second reason you should do this is in verse 7. Because he cares. He cares. It's a wonderful thing to know that we have a God who's not only powerful, but he's caring. Who's not just caring, but he's powerful. Which means he has both the ability and the desire to help us and to aid us. How do I know this? Because look at verse 6. Peter says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And Peter could have used any choice of words. He could have said, humble yourselves and just let God be God, right? I mean, that would be easier. But he uses this phrase, humble yourselves under the, what, mighty hand of God. And if you know your Bible, especially in the Old Testament, that phrase, under the mighty hand, was frequently used in other places in the Old Testament, particularly in reference to the Exodus. When God, by his mighty hand, saved Israel from Egypt. You read Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 21, and he says, Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Deuteronomy 7, It is because the Lord loves you, and it is keeping with his oath with you, that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you. Under the mighty hand of God is salvation language. And notice then in our passage, Peter uses this phrase, under the mighty hand of God, because he wants you to remember and appreciate the kind of God that we are casting our cares on. He doesn't just have the ability to help you. He also has the desire. How do I know? Because look at what he has already done in history past to save you. Under God's mighty hand, he didn't just deliver Israel from Egypt to the land of Canaan, but under God's mighty hand, he delivered us from sin and death into eternal life. Under God's mighty hand, he gave us the unthinkable. He gave us his only son, Jesus Christ, who on the cross takes the penalty of our sin, gives us perfect goodness to bring us from hell to heaven. This is the kind of God we have, not just a powerful God, with ability and strength, but a God who cares. A powerful God who cares, and a caring God who's powerful. So humble yourselves and throw your burdens, your anxieties, and trust in Him. Now let's, I mean, just let's think about this. Common sense. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous for Christians to believe in a God who could redeem sinners, break the power of sin, take them from hell to heaven, put them in his kingdom, give them eternal life, and then don't think that he could just get them through the next few days, weeks, months. Does that make sense? I mean, it's almost embarrassing to believe God for the greater gift and then stumble and not believe him for lesser ones. 
and the vicissitudes and the trials of life, as difficult as they are for us today, they pale in comparison to the greatness of your salvation. When you worry, excessively worry, you are choosing to be mastered by your circumstances instead of by the truth of God. And Peter here wants his people to realize that it doesn't make sense to believe that God could save you from eternal hell but not help you in practical matters of temporary life. One author put it this way, quote, anxiety follows when we forget that God is the one who cares for us. We are not left adrift on the sea of chance, facing shipwreck on the shoals of an impersonal destiny. We are under the care of a sovereign God who controls the course of history and is intricately involved in the everyday life of each of his children, end quote. Friends, I think, especially in this country, more than ever, we really need to understand this. The world, or at least our country, is crazy right now. Crazy. If you thought you had things to worry about five years ago, there are just things left and right. We just don't know what to do, whether it's in your home, with our children, uh, whether it's in, in, in our country, in politics, or in, in the world. It, it is just, it, it's mind-boggling, isn't it? You can't help but worry. So what do we do? And the answer simply is this. You fight it. You, you, you struggle against it. And you see, what is faith? Some of us think like faith means you've got to close your eyes and take a jump. Right? Just close your eyes and don't, see, don't think, don't think about anything and jump. It's what we call a leap of faith. But I think when you look at the Bible, especially in Matthew 6 and even in our passage today, that, that's not how the Bible speaks. That's not how Jesus speaks. In fact, it's the opposite. It's the opposite. Um... You know, in Matthew 6, where Jesus says, don't be anxious, don't be anxious, and then he gives you a couple examples. Hey, look at the birds. Look how God takes care of them. Hey, look at the lilies in the grass. Look how God takes care of them. Right? And, and it, it sounds flowery, and you might think, well, maybe Jesus' solution to my anxiety is I just need to refocus on nature, right? And just get my mind off it and just kind of meditate on, on, on the beauty of nature. No, no, the word look, when he says look at birds, look at flowers, the word look isn't just look, it's think, ponder, meditate, think about this. And, and what Jesus is trying to say is this. He's saying uh, when you're worrying, it's because you're not really thinking, you're not thinking rightly. You know how sometimes when we just start talking without thinking, we just react and our mouths just run off, right? We start rambling. We start saying things incoherently, insensitively, sometimes offensively even. But I want you to know this. There's no one doing more talking to you than you. In your head, in your heart, you are always talking to yourself. And when you're in your heart, you're just reacting to a particular situation or person, your heart just runs off at the mouth. It begins to ramble. Bad situation. And you think, oh, no, what am I going to do? How am I going to solve this? What do I do? This is going to go bad. And we begin to worry. And Jesus here is saying, he's saying, stop. Wait. Stop. Think. Don't just listen to the rambling worry in your heart. Instead, You've got to fight this. Talk to your heart. Argue with yourself. 
Faith isn't just turning off your mind and then passing peaceful thoughts. Faith is a position and a confidence towards the world based on what you believe concerning God. And so when we worry and we struggle with worry, we have to fight it. We can't just let it go. We can't just run with it. How do we do this? By arguing with ourselves the very truths of God that Jesus gives us. Okay? And what is the truth that Peter is giving us in our passage today? You know, if you're a mom today, uh, or if you, you know, have your mom today, or even, even if you're a father, you know it's inevitable that you will have some concern for your kids. That's normal, right? And you will have some worry about children. And the reason is you should. Why? Because you care for your children. You love your children. And your kids don't fully understand all of that. I know my kids don't. You care for those relationships in your family. You would do anything You would devote your life. You would give up your life for your family, for your children. Peter is saying, think about this. Think about this other relationship, not just your family relationship, but your relationship with God. He's not just your creator. He's not just your master. He's not even just your king. He is your father in heaven. You have a powerful, heavenly Father who cares for you, who provides what you need the most. And that is the truth, I think, that we need to believe in the bottom of our hearts when we fight with worry and anxiety. Because here's the thing, and I've been through this myself, and I know people here have. When you're in the midst of anxiousness and loneliness, uh, uh, worry, That anxiety, that worry disorder, it becomes very lonely. You feel all alone in the middle of your worry. And when we worry, we we act. What we're doing is we're acting and we're living like we're all alone, like no one cares, like we're orphans who don't have any father who will help us. Like we're all always on our own. Like everything depends on me. And what Peter is trying to remind his church is that because of what Jesus the Son has done for us, we now have a Father in heaven, which means you are not alone. Whether you're a mother or father, whether you're a son or daughter, he is our heavenly Father. He cares. And so he calls us to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand and then start casting our cares upon him. We need to fight with this and go against what we see and hear in our heads and our hearts all the time. And when we do this, we start praying. We pray things like, Lord, you are God and King. I'm your servant. I know you owe me nothing. But for some reason, you have given me everything in Jesus. I trust you. Give me the grace to trust you more. You start praying, Father, forgive me for always wanting things my way. By your mighty hand, you created all things. By your mighty hand, you rescued your people. I want to live under your mighty hand. Please have mercy. That's where we begin. And so moms... 
you might be like my mom. Uh, you look at your kids and you think they will never know how much I love them, how much I worry for them. But when you find yourself worrying, moms, I want you to know you will never know how much God loves you. Your Father in heaven cares for you. Trust in that the next time we go through it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your grace. We thank you so much for the people that you put in our lives. Um, it is so true, Lord, that the ones that are closest to us oftentimes cause us not only the most pain, but also sometimes the most anxiety, the most worry, the most struggle. And it is because we love so much and care so much. And rightly so, Lord, you have created us to be good parents, uh, good siblings, um, good Christians. But we pray that as we have good and godly concerns, that these things will not separate us from you, that these things will not uh, cloud, Lord, our, our position before you, that we ought to always remain humbly under your grace, reminded daily, not just at home, but on TV and in the news and in the world, reminded, Lord, that this is how small we really are. As much as we feel like we can do so much and be responsible for so much, at the end of the day, you are God and we are not. And you've cared for us and you've given to us what's most needed. And you also become the source of our strength and the person that we ought to care, bring our concerns. So Lord, as we struggle against uh, inappropriate, disproportionate anxiety and worry, we pray, Lord, that the love we have for those we worry for would be overshadowed by the love you have for us. That it would move our hearts to turn to you, to know, Lord, step by step, day by day, we make it through, trusting and believing that is true, and to be faithful in the moment, one day at a time. And so, Lord, give us this grace. Give us this strength to do. Give us the faith to believe. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.